This week on The Zone of Truth, Griff and I review the Vizzy Mimosa Hard Seltzer Pack, Creature Feature Coffin Mimics, Detail Episode 200's Nightmare Dragon, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in the studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in The Zone of Truth. And we're back. Back again. Just the two of us. That's right. On our normal Carrying Crown recording day. Yeah. But nothing's normal anymore. Yeah, None that's true. Normal anymore. As I like to say, or as Frank Reynolds has said on Always Sunny, we really cut the crust off this shit sandwich. Get rid of the people that don't need to be here. Just <laughs> get rid of me and you. <laughs> How you been, Griff? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's kind of a quiet week. For you, maybe. But it's, it hasn't been a quiet week for you. What are you talking about? Well, I mean, it's, it's a quiet week in terms of like, I'm not really seeing anybody. I guess that's true. I guess we have what? Lang Legacy recording. It's the one that stresses me out the least. Yeah. And we have a little, uh, little bestow curse this weekend. And Discorderly. Well, and Discorderly. And then. Discorderly is par for the course, Steve. That's, that's just, true. It just happens. And it's a long weekend, so I don't even feel like I'm losing a whole weekend to it. Yes, that's true. And then on Monday. Which is part of the long weekend. It's the 4th of July weekend. And for those of you who are international, that's a, a celebration of America's independence. Um, <laughs> we are potentially recording some hideous tomfoolery. Are we? I thought so. I thought we definitely weren't on the 4th of July. Oh, wait, maybe that's the weekend after. It's definitely not. Uh-oh, let me check it's the calendar. The 4th of July. Okay, never mind. Um, it's like I the guess... 13th of July or something. No, that's on the calendar. Tentative HTF record. It's definitely super tentative. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll figure out our schedule off air. <laughs> but, <laughs> that's the most tentative record ever. That's why I called it tentative. I think everyone's like, oh, I guess there's nothing really going on. Because nobody's like, I don't think anybody really celebrates the fourth on the fourth if it's, you know, in the middle of the week or something, you know? Yeah. So, it's I mean, a day it's, off work. It's on a Wednesday or it's on a Monday. So, yeah. We can celebrate on the day because we have off on the day. You could. Are you going to be lighting any fireworks? No. 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 I'm just going to be complaining about all the fireworks that are getting lit around me. <laughs> That's fair enough. All right, man. Well, pre-4th of July, what have you been up to? It's, I think it's been a quite a quite an adventive week. Lots going on Yeah, because you moved. Yeah. That's the, that's the event for you. You're like, wow, I get to spend 80% of my time in a different building now. Yes. So big news, long time running joke is that my apartment is small and sad. No longer the case. I'm in a very large two bedroom, two bath, 50 stair apartment. It's just big and sad now. (laughs) It's big, empty and sad. Um, Big, empty and sad. (laughs) But I have a garage. I have a private rooftop veranda. Man, every single day that I've lived in there, with the exception of the first day that I was too drunk, I've just spent like an hour up on the roof just staring at the sunset man it's fucking beautiful up there we're gonna have to get you up there sometime i've been up there well yeah you were up there in the middle of the day when it was like 90 degrees and we were all baking a lot we went out there when we came back before we went back out was it the sunset at that time when we got back from the pool it was like 7 38 o'clock probably wasn't full sunset Nah, it doesn't happen this time of year till like 9 9 30 but but still but still okay so you were up there i mean notably notably your apartment features 
two full switchbacks on the stairs. Yep. That's a notable feature. There's a lot of stairs. But yeah, so I moved in. I spent a couple days off work just getting unpacked. I'm pretty much settled in. I still have a whole lot of decorating and stuff to do. But I'm really looking forward to it. I really, really have been falling in love with the place over the week. So it's been great. Thanks again to you and Brooks and Chris and Haley and Eric for helping me move in there and then helping me break it in a little bit with a little bit of partying afterwards. Did you uh, finally meet your neighbors? No. Oh, because they met everyone that moved stuff except for you. That is true. They, yes. they met all of us and they asked all of us individually if we live there. Mm-hmm. And uh, you all said no. And we all said, no, there's one very sad, lonely bachelor that you'll mm-hmm. meet eventually. Uh, but probably not, because I I truly can't remember the last time that I knew my neighbors. They're the side door. Your door's like kiss. Yeah. They're under you. Yeah. But I lived in my old place for four years and never knew my neighbors. So well, you entered your old place like your old place felt like you were entering like from the wrong direction of the building. You're the only person that like you and the other one person entered from the side and everyone else enters the apartment complex from one of the other two directions not a flat blank wall on the side of the building You literally you enter from like where the bouncers kick people out of a club yes that is the equivalent of your front door yes but yeah so maybe i'll meet my neighbors and if i do i'll talk about it on this show it'll be fun besides (laughs) that though i have been up to a whole bunch of other stuff as they like to say i'm back on my bullshit because i have been watching true blood season five And let me tell you, really wasn't loving uh, season three, really wasn't loving season four, season five. I'm back, baby. It's so good. I'm really loving it. I'm almost done. And then it'll be time for me to uh, watch something else in the meantime before six. So don't know what that's going to be. Is is it six seasons or is it more than I think it's seven. Seven. Yeah. I thought you were coming up on like the back end. Yeah. And I'm almost done with five. I'm on like episode 11 of 12. So real close to that. A band I really like, Destroy, Rebuild Until God Shows, dropped a new album. It's packed front to back of fucking bangers. Check that out, guys. It's awesome. And then the last thing that really has been getting me going this week, I watched a movie with Brooks this week. Griffin, have you heard of the movie called yes, R-R-R? Yes. And I'm actually very upset that this is the one you chose to watch without the rest of the group, because this movie is supposed to be phenomenally fun to watch. Griffin, it was three hours long. I would watch it again this yeah, weekend. It's, it's supposed to be like the most fun to watch. I've actually seen several people review it. It's like buzzing right now. It's so it's on Netflix now. Right? Yeah, it's on Netflix. It's so fucking good. Like, I can't remember how many, or, you know, when was the last time I saw a movie that my jaw was just on the ground the whole time. Every single scene, I was like, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen in a movie. No, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> They'll just have full-on dance numbers that are, like, fucking killer. There'll be montages that are completely goofy with songs in the background that just describe what's happening. Oh, man. It, like, checks all the right boxes. It's so good. I saw a scene where uh, one of the main characters throws a jaguar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's, like... I, I would ask Just you standard. I would ask you which time, <laughs> which time? <laughs> because that happens a lot. <laughs> that happens a lot. Oh boy, it's so so good. Yeah, it's like a Bollywood movie, isn't it? Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. There's there's some goofy stuff in there like there's some seriously questionable CGI and like some crazy graphics and stuff, but like 
clearly a lot of heart went into this. Everybody's like acting their asses off and the sets are huge and there will be scenes with 500 extras in it, like full pack city streets. It's crazy. Like clearly a lot of care and love and effort went into this. It's batshit insane, but it deserves every bit of success it got because it's fucking awesome. So guys, you gotta watch RRR and Griffin, we will watch RRR together. No, it's, it. it's not a, is it a Netflix movie or is it just a movie that is on Netflix? It is a movie that is on Netflix. It's not a Netflix original. When did it come out? Ooh, good question. I'm fairly confident. You know what? I, I can't even really speak to it. I, it must be recently, but I don't know if it was recent, if it's been around for a few years and Netflix just picked it up and that's why it's gotten popular if it's like dropped on Netflix in the last couple months. Yeah, I, yeah, I know, I, I know yeah. it like just dropped on Netflix, so that's why I wonder yeah. if it's brand new and Netflix picked it up, mm-hmm. or if it's you know we could have been watching this in 2018. Possible. I, I wish I was. In fact, Brooks and I started this movie on Tuesday night, and we got through the first two hours. And on Wednesday, I texted him halfway through the day, "Dude, can we please finish RRR tonight?" And he's like, "Yeah, of course." So we were going to watch it yesterday. We were about to finish it up. And the thing that I told them was, I wish we watched less of this last night so we had more to watch tonight. <laughs> <laughs> we should saved it. Yeah. All right, Griff. Well, that's enough about me and all the crazy stuff that's been going on in my life. What have you been up to, man? One Piece update. Okay. I am... Haley and I are, I want to say, in the 730, 740 episode range. Ooh, okay. We're in the Dressrosa arc, but we're in Dressrosa and... Luffy is in the final fight with Doflamingo, who is the big bad of that arc, and he has just... God, it was... uh, This moment was great. He just went into Gear 4, which... So, for people that don't watch One Piece, Luffy has what are called gears, which are, like, ways that he has learned to... Because he's a rubber man, so Mm -hmm. he's made of rubber. Yeah. So it's ways that he's learned to manipulate his body in order to become more powerful. So, like minor spoilers for what the gears are but like second gear is like luffy can control like the compression of his vascular system because he's made of rubber so it makes his blood pump faster and oxygenate faster so he gets like he starts to like steam and like he generates heat what a clever use of the rubber man concept as a superpower okay yeah so he does that and it like it's it kind of like speeds him up makes him stronger Mm mm-hmm Then he has third gear, which is where he bites into the tip of his thumb uh, into his bone and blows up his bone so he can make his fist massive. Oh, sure. Like like the size of a a sailing ship, basically. So that one's all about bones. So he he messes with his bones and then it like becomes hard again. And it's this giant hammer fist thing. yeah. Yeah. And the downside to that used to be that like... Once he expands his bones in one direction, they all contract. So he would become mm. like tiny. <laughs> and this final fourth gear, he's learned to do a similar thing to his muscles. So like he like expands his muscles in this way and actually allows himself to fly oh. because he basically, you know, those like guns where you can blow air out of them. Like when you pull them back, oh, sure, yeah. he makes his legs into those. Like he, he, contracts and expands his shins into his thighs and it like the force of the air creates like a and (laughs) so he can just like fly using that force and uh when he's in that form he's called bounce man because he can't stop bouncing 
when he nice. <laughs> it's so good so he entered that form and like wrecked shit in one of the most recent episodes we saw and it was super exciting one of the one of the better like form reveal things i've seen in anime in a little while i got a tattoo right and this is kind of what i was alluding to you're like Oh, nothing's going on this week. You only spent like 16 hours in a chair getting a fucking huge tattoo. Yeah, I did get a, yeah, I got a big tattoo. Yeah, I went Sunday and Monday in two sessions. I'm getting like, it's kind of Carrion Crown themed, mm-hmm. but it's like my tattoo artist is really kind of like an expert at these like big, like skulls and eldritch pieces and stuff. So I was like looking at the stuff. And he ended up having an opening last Friday. And I was like, oh, I'll snag that. And he was like, well, we could do Friday. Or I could take Friday off. And we could do two back-to-back sessions on Sunday, Monday. If you want to get something bigger. And I was like, yeah, let's do that. Mm -hmm. So I think actually sitting and getting tattooed, I was in the chair for 13 hours. But like between the two sessions, I was probably, I was there from like noon to nine, two days in a row. So like 18 hours there and for for me like with how kind of this semi-realistic style that he's that we're going for with this like that got my entire delt and like halfway down my bicep Mm -hmm. and it's dope but like that's as far as we got yep and the plan is to go down my forearm so i actually managed to book his last two slots for the summer which end up being when you're out of town next week. Perfect. So I got Friday and Saturday, not this Friday and Saturday, but the next Friday and Saturday, booked for another probably noon to 9 p.m., <laughs> two <laughs> noon to 9 p.m. sessions to finish it up. But right now it, it's a demi-lich with the gagged skull motif, like the Whispering Way is. And then he has the whole thing drawn out, so the rest of it is like vultures and carrion birds down the forearm Hell yeah. um so it's gonna be pretty tight pretty excited yeah man make sure you share some pics of that i know you've already been posting progress pics up in the discord but yeah let's get that like on the instagram story man Shit we should good. i was gonna wait till it was finished yeah yeah but god i haven't lifted at all this week i got it sunday monday mm-hmm. and like this part of my arm is still like super tight and mm. i'm babying it a ton i've been like rewashing my carhartt shirts because they're the only shirts i have that like the sleeves are decently loose. Yep. And like, I need it to breathe, so I need it to be loose. So I've been like, wear my Carhartt shirts to bed. Like, I wash it and lotion it like mornings and nights. Trying not to over lotion it. I heard that's a bad thing to do. Sure. Some people don't lotion it at all. There's a school of thought that like just let it go but I, I can't imagine that's not super painful because like hmm. I already feel like when I go from like lotioning it at like 10 a.m. to lotioning it before bed I feel like oh god it's like I can feel my skin getting tight Ooh, um, that's unpleasant but it's been pretty good it hasn't been like oozing too bad I, I didn't get any ink or blood after like the first day which some people say that can last like up to a week but it's been pretty good from that perspective I mean, I've healed tattoos before, but nothing like this big. Mm-hmm. So it, it is annoying. Like there's parts that are like by my armpit. And I'm like, uh, really don't enjoy that scabbing up. Mm-hmm. I can see that being frustrating. Yeah. Don't love that. Yeah. I mean, we didn't go 
all the way around the arm. So like, it's not like my underarm mm-hmm. is tattooed. So that's a good thing, at least in terms of comfort. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's been an experience because the tattoo studio that he works in, he owns it, but it's kind of like, I mean, the place is very chill, but it's the only tattoo studio I've ever been to that's like completely open windows, like not open to the outside, but like not curtained windows. Sure. Like right on 4th Street. Oh, okay. And like, you know, great natural light and whatever, like Mm -hmm. people walking by the entire time, just like looking in, like watching you get tattooed. You're like, you're not not like, you're not like in the, like a lot of tattoo studios I've been to in the past. You're like kind of back in the studio, like private. And this, there's just no way for it to be private the way the studio is set up, which kind of helps because when you're sitting for that long, I'm kind of like, okay, I can kind of people watch and do whatever. Yeah. Like you can't, I can't use my right arm for the entire time. So like, texting or fucking around on my phone with one arm like you know we talk for like four hours of it but like eventually you just it's like you get you got you gotta work and like yeah yeah it's like i feel like i'm distracting you (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that's still like you know five hours of not talking i actually fell asleep for part of it yeah yeah which i didn't really how long did you say fell asleep for like 45 minutes okay uh, and he was and he was getting the back of my armpit, but the thing was, for all of it, but this tiny segment, I was sitting upright, mm-hmm. and I had my arm resting on a pad, sure. and he was kind of like tattooing it upright, like he was kind of going straight onto my arm, and to get the back of my arm, he was like, oh, it's just going to be easier if you lay down and like prop your arm up kind of like this. Perfect. And just lay face down. So I'm laying face down. And the minute I start laying face down, I'm like, hmm, this got a lot less hurdy and a lot more rhythmic. Yep. yep. <laughs> and I started to doze and he's like, he's like, yeah, you, I definitely heard you like nod off and come back to like a couple of times. Wasn't going to say anything. You weren't passing out. So I wasn't worried. Yeah. Ooh, oh, boy. Well, really looking forward to seeing how it turns out. And uh, yeah. Yeah, pretty pumped, man. Several hours to go, halfway there. What I've seen is really cool so far. So talking about cool, let's get into this Vizzy Mimosa pack. Oh, boy. As soon as I saw this one hit the shelves, I knew we had to do it on this show. These are 5% ABV, 0% sugar, or rather 0 gram sugar, and 100 calories. Griff, what are your thoughts on mimosas? Do you like a mimosa? I'm fine on mimosas. I uh-huh. think I think I suffer from... What a lot of people suffer from with mimosas, which is kind of the same with Bloody Marys. It's just it's a lot of acid early in the morning. Mm-hmm. You definitely, like, if you do bottomless mimosas, you need some Tums. Absolutely, yeah. A lot of acid. I absolutely agree with that. I don't know that I love the taste of champagne. So, like, some people, oh, I, there's barely any orange juice in this. And I'm like, oh, that actually sounds kind of fucking gross. <laughs> yeah, get out of here. Yeah, I'm like, I'm worried about how champagne-y these mm-hmm. are going to be, or if they're more going to be like screwdrivers, which I like a lot more than I'm almost. I, I love a screwdriver. Yeah, I can get down with a screwdriver. I'm kind of hoping we're leaning that way. But the interesting thing about this pack, rather, is that we got four interesting sounding flavors here. We have pineapple orange, strawberry orange, pomegranate orange, and peach orange. You're forgetting like half of the title. Okay, hint of pineapple orange, hint of strawberry orange, hint of pomegranate orange, and hint of peach orange. Now, knowing Vizzy, that hint's going to be more like a punch to the mouth. They always say hint of something, and Vizzy hits. Yeah, I've never just had a hint of something they've produced. Absolutely not. So, 
How are we going to rate these seltzers? Well, we're going to use a brunch scale. Well, so what I did was I went to... Uh, yeah, please explain this. Yeah, this is... I think this might be one of my best ones yet. I went to the recipe.com's 25 worst to best brunch items listicle. Then I divided the 25 entrants by five. So 25 would have been five on the scale. 20 would be four, etc. But then that means the worst stuff gets the highest rating. So then I flip flop the scale. So 25 is now one, 20 is two, etc. So the rankings are number one. This is, this is your bottom is obviously this means it placed 25th on the list. Yeah, this all makes sense. Mm-hmm. Fruit granola and yogurt. Okay. Two, which was the 20th slot was poached eggs. Three, 15th slot was an egg sandwich. Four was uh, Shaq Shuka. Shuka. The description of it sounded really good, but Isn't I've never like heard of it before. Hash? Like it's like a- I think, yeah, it's like a tomato-y hash. I think if I remember correctly, it looked great. And then five, which is our highest, is avocado toast. So was avocado toast fifth on the list or number one on the list? Because you had 25th on the list. Okay, yes. so because I was about to get a little bit upset if this list said avocado toast was the quintessential number one breakfast item. No, or brunch I believe item. the top item was like waffles. Okay. Yeah. So that's our very logical scale. I think it's about time to crack into these. And we do have a lot of stuff to get through today. So I want to move through this kind of quick. So we're going to start with pineapple orange here. Got some copy from the website. We've added a surprising twist to the boring classic brunch mimosa. The tropical fruity taste of pineapple and sweet orange juice will take your palate to a brunch paradise. Crisp and refreshing, busy pineapple orange mimosa hard seltzer brings out a brunch state of mind that'll last all day. All right, let's crack this open. Hmm. What are your thoughts on that, Griff? Uh, it's really light on the orange. Am I yeah. wrong? It tastes... Very pineapple forward. It's like a pineapple seltzer. I was getting the orange on the back end on the back back end I'm definitely getting that quintessential like busy artificial flavor mm-hmm. they do have a taste to them yeah I don't know that I was getting a ton of champagne which I don't think is a bad thing. I, I I couldn't have picked champagne out of that mm-hmm. I mean I'm gonna go egg sandwich on that I think I think that's pretty middle of the road that's exactly where I was gonna put this to would I drink a bunch of these in a row no but if someone hands me one I don't think I'm gonna be upset yeah a strawberry orange. You want to start this one off for me? Yeah, why not? Hint of strawberry orange. We met Vizzy Strawberry Orange Mimosa Hard Seltzer waiting in line to get into our favorite brunch spot. We've been BFFs ever since. The fruity flavor and delicious orange juice taste is a vibe. So dive in and enjoy the bubbly feeling of a mimosa brunch. Wow. Can't believe we met this one in line. In line, yes. At well, our we've favorite been, brunch we've spot. We've been BFFs ever since. I don't think our favorite brunch spot has ever had a line. <laughs> no. Oh, he's going back in for a second sip. It's either really good or really bad. I'd like to start this off. Sure. That's fucking good. Yeah. I really like that. that. And yeah. I don't get the I don't get the artificial aftertaste. What the heck? You're right. I'm not getting the quintessential Vizzy artificial aftertaste. The flavors. I, I'm actually getting the hint of in that one, in mm-hmm. that I almost wish the strawberry was a little bit stronger. But I'm certainly getting the orange. It tastes like strawberry and orange juice were blended. I'm surprised how well those two flavors work together. Yeah. And I'm going to give this an avocado toast. Five out of five. I really like that. And I would drink a lot of those. Yeah. I think, honestly, this was more successful than most strawberry seltzers. Yeah. Agree. Agree. Yeah. Definitely an avocado toast. Wow. Okay. Not bad. 
Here we go. Pomegranate orange, a.k.a. the midnight sun of this pack. Um, a few people will get that joke. It's a very good one. Is it really brunch without busy pomegranate orange mimosa hard seltzer? Well, I, I, mean, I, I would, don't know. I would argue <laughs> yes. Bursting with tangy berry notes, the delicious taste of pomegranate and the refreshing taste of orange juice, it will get your taste buds hyped. Get that brunch vibe going with this bubbly combo. Hmm. I'll let you start this one off, Griff. It's weird. Yeah, it's strange. It's weird and not pleasant to me. Okay. It tastes underripe. Really? That's a, it tastes like something that's not quite ripe. I'm assuming that's coming from the pomegranate flavor. I taste that like green banana stem in it. I don't love it. Yeah. I mean, and I wish it had more orange. I honestly think I'm going poached eggs on that one. I, wow. I dislike that more than the uh, pineapple one. And that's, it's yeah, like that's stuck in my mouth. Ugh. That's tough for me. I don't know that I have a real good understanding of what a pomegranate should really taste like. I don't know that that's a real memorable yeah, I mean, flavor if the, for me. If that's I how pomegranate to tastes, it. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. My initial thoughts were that I wanted to throw this right in the middle as an egg sandwich. But if I'm seeing this and the pineapple orange juice next to each other, I'm taking the pineapple one. So I can't rank them equally. I think I'm also going to give this a poached egg. So far, we're three for three holding hands all the way down the aisle. Like... We've been matched up on these perfectly. Let's see if there's a tiebreaker here. All right. And this is peach orange, or as the Dua Lipa pack has taught us last week, the one with the cousins hooking up. Mm, the cousin fucking. Yeah. Let's make brunch in all pajamas <laughs> a thing. Me visit peach orange mimosa hard seltzer. Enjoy notes of juicy peach flavor and orange juice. Let the effervescence and its bubbles spread the vibe of an endless mimosa hard seltzer kind of day. Okay. All right, we'll find out. <laughs> looking, I'm looking for effervescence. They better have it. Cousins getting brunch in their pajamas. Let's make it a thing. Let's make cousins hanging out in the same bed in pajamas <laughs> a thing. <laughs> Weird, says that on the can. <laughs> All right, my turn to give this a try. That's delightful. Yeah, that worked. Yeah, that is delightful. I'm going to go Shikshuka. I think it's very good. It's not as good as the strawberry one. Mm -hmm. But again, contrary to normal Vizzy, I'm not getting that weird fake aftertaste. However, the peach does taste a little artificial to me in the combo. Um, it's not really a bad thing. It's kind of how every peach and every seltzer I've tasted that yeah, has peach yeah. in it tastes. It's very sweet. I get a little less orange than maybe I would have thought, but maybe that's just the way it interacts with the peach flavor. I'm going to tell you what, this does not break the tie. I'm also giving this a shakshuka, four out of five. This is a pretty good seltzer. I like it. I think it's very well done. Yeah, the pack though, we got a two, three, four, five. Yeah, so there are some highs and lows on this. Yeah. Nothing that I would say was legitimately disgusting. We've had some bad shit on this podcast. Yeah. Pomegranate's the closest thing. But even that, it's like, it's just a little unpleasant. Something that I'm not reaching for. Honestly, I would drink that pomegranate as long as it was every fourth. You know what I mean? Yeah. And for a uh, hard seltzer pack that's got four flavors, if you can support with the other flavors, having one that doesn't quite stand out, that's fine. You know what? It is what it is. Overall, well done, Vizzy. You know what, Griffin, I'm going to say something crazy. I think this is a good redemption arc for Vizzy. 
because remember, we really, really, really love their original pack. Mm -hmm. And then when two, pack two came out, we were excited for it, and that fell flat on its face. This is pretty good. I yeah. like it. Yeah. I think this is this is better executed than their lemonade pack, too. For sure. Yeah. And yeah, their pack two was dog shit. So good showing by Vizzy. Yeah. Yeah. Excited to see what they put out. What's the next crazy thing? Because I didn't expect to see Mimosa. We'll you know see. what? They do have another pomegranate flavor, though, don't they? Isn't that blueberry, blueberry pomegranate? Or am I losing my mind? You might be right about that. And that one isn't weird. That one is one of their best flavors. Yeah, that is good. I think you're right. The and the, it must be that the blueberry completely carries that one. Yeah, I mean, it, I think I it does, yeah. if I remember correctly. Let's go ahead and divide these up. I think it goes without saying that if someone's grabbing that strawberry, you gotta hop on the pomegranate grenade. Yeah, I think those it's, two it's, go it's, together. I was just about to say, there's a pretty clear delineation of who gets what depending on the first pick. Mm -hmm. Well, what would you like, Griff? Um, I don't think I'm going home sad with any of these. Yeah, I'm honestly fine with either. I'll take the peach and uh, pineapple. All right, I'll head those your way. I'm definitely drinking that effervescent peach first. Love it. All right, cool. So let's move on to our next segment of the show. This is the creature feature. This is an opportunity for Griff and myself to take a look at a classic D&D slash Pathfinder monster. Talk about the origins of the monster, where it came from in real life talk about how it lives in the Galarian setting and then the mechanics behind it. We're doing the mimic today because we had a near miss encounter on the show with the coffin mimic. Some people on our discord were sad that we bypassed that one. People wanted to see us fight the mimics, but Matuma's perception worn out. We got out of there. There's no reason to screw with those guys. So I'm going to take us through a little bit of a history of mimics. I looked around online and couldn't really find a historical precedent for mimics in our like history as a people. But what I did find was this really interesting article by Austin Wood on PCGamer.com called The Murderous History of Mimics. Most of the information that I'm going to be relaying today comes from there because there's some really good stuff in there. So he talks about how the mimic was created for the D&D setting and then how it grew beyond that in role-playing games in general. So turns out the Mimic was an original creature designed by Gary Gygax in 1974, but there wasn't a whole lot of detail on it until it was included in the Monster Manual, the original D&D one in 1977. Even then, there wasn't a whole lot of detail about the creature. So in 1983, this dude called Ed Greenwood, who created D&D's Forgotten Realms campaign, and many of the monsters therein wrote this write-up called The Ecology of the Mimic. This compiled information from all of the scattered lore that existed at the time, you know, that Gary Gygax penned or maybe other folks contributed to into one bestiary for the mimic. And he strung that all together with a whole lot of new details to fill in gaps so players could understand this creature and more about it. He basically outlined two distinct types of mimics, Basically, big, dumb mimics, and then the little sneakier, smaller, smarter ones. After the mimic became an established staple in the D&D setting, they began to creep outwards into different media, and they got really popular in early PC games, early RPGs. And there's an interesting reason for this. It's because at the time, PC games 
didn't have a lot of memory to work with, like on the disc or whatever. So if you already have a coffin built in your game or rather like a treasure chest or something, it doesn't take too much more work to put a couple teeth on it and then bounce it around. Well, it's pretty funny because it's in so many games like or yeah. the concept exists in so many games. If you think about basically every RPG mm -hmm. mimics, but even stuff like Pokemon in the overworld, the items, they're not in chests, they're in Pokeballs. But like the Pokemon Voltorb and Electrode are Pokeball looking Pokemon. Yeah. And so like sometimes you interact with one and the Pokemon comes out. That's such a good example of like a quote unquote mimic that's not a textbook mimic, just like right. that concept executed really well in an interesting way. I would also posit that the bomb mystery boxes in Mario Kart are very similar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think the reason, or at least the reason posited in here is that, well, when you have limited memory on a cartridge or a file for a game or a disc or whatever, it's not too hard to port stuff that you've already created just to tweak it a little bit. And what this does, it is a good way of introducing risk and reward into dungeons. So does the treasure chest look too good to be true? Maybe it is, maybe it's not. And then sometimes it punishes people for being greedy. They've been codified with greed and that's a trend that's held true to present day. So what does this mean for Pathfinder lore? Well, Pathfinder mimics tend to, at least their base, appear similar to their original D&D counterparts. The splash text that I saw on PFSRD was what appeared to be a chest filled with treasure comes to life as it grows long, glistening tentacles and a number of sharp teeth. The in-world lore reason for Mimics existing, Mimics are thought to be the result of an alchemist's attempt to grant life to an inanimate object through the application of an eldritch reagent, the recipe for which is long lost. Basically positing that over time, these strange creatures learn the ability to transform themselves into mirrors of man-made objects to trick people. And they were particularly found in locations that had infrequent traffic by small number of creatures so that they can successfully attack people who are isolated or delving into a region of the world where they know they're not going to have onlookers blow their cover. Mimics are not inherently evil, but some people believe that mimics attack human and other intelligent creatures for sport rather than substance. Um, their desire to completely fool others is thought to be part of their being and their surprise attacks against creatures are a culmination of these desires. The ecology of mimics gets pretty wild, man. So a couple fun stats. Typical mimic has the volume of 150 cubic feet, five feet by five feet by six feet, which doesn't seem very large, but they weigh about 900 pounds. That's pretty heavy for a small cube. Yeah. And there are legends and tales, speaking of mimics of much greater sizes, who have assumed the form of houses, ships, or entire dungeon complexes, which made me laugh because we're kind of talking about this presently on Linked Legacy. We're positing, or at least some of us around the table are positing, that the giant haunted house of the malevolence module could be one massive mimic or mimic-like creature. Do you think the mimic's name is Shakuh? If the house is indeed a mimic, then yes, <laughs> I, I do think its name is Shakuh. But then, this I am just going to read verbatim because it's weird and disgusting and crazy. It's mimic reproduction. Mm, hot. I believe this was cited from a Pathfinder developer 
on some sort of form or something. I don't know that this is actually printed in a bestiary or something. So I'm not confident that this is you sure you actual didn't find fact. find this in a Rule 34 subform? Uh, uh-oh. Uh, no, this was on Pathfinder Wiki, but I did Pathfinder look at- Pathfinder Wiki 34. <laughs> oh, that's what I was looking at. Well, I did check the citation because I'm like, wow, that's fucking weird. I don't, I don't know about that. And I think it's just some sort of forum or something, but I'd like to think it's true. Buckle up. So mimics are asexual and reproduce via spores. All right, breaking character here for a second. We know that they're, um, what are they, like, abjuration? They're not abjuration, like abomination. Aberrations, that's the word I'm looking for. So that doesn't entirely surprise me. When a mimic controls enough food and territory, it undergoes an involuntary internal change called splatter spawning, laying out a large, thick glue carpet of spore-rich protoplasm 30 or more feet in diameter. It gets worse. Having marked the walls and floor of a particular cavern or ruin with this stinking graffiti, it departs never to return. Immature mimics bud out of the whitish glue carpet, forming multi-hued chitin-plated plasmoids the size of house cats, immediately ambulatory and capable camouflage. These miniature mimics feed upon the glue carpet, each other, and those helpless scavengers attracted by the stench are subsequently trapped by the glue. That is fucking foul. Talk about painting those walls. Yeah. You know, maybe I did find this on Pathfinder Wiki 34. uh, This gives some uh, deep Reddit and 4chan of old thread vibes. Yeah, this is really particularly gross, but I had to bring it up. It's so weird. Just a 30-foot diameter. Drops a 30-foot load, walks walks away. 30-foot <laughs> load. And then little, like, mimic chests start growing out of it and eating each other and the 30-foot load itself. Gross. My kids are full of load. Absolutely gross. So, Griff, let's move over into the mechanics of mimics and pathfinder. I'm not sure exactly if you wanted to hit like the classic mimic, but I definitely do want to hear about the coffin mimics in this dungeon that we bypassed. So to find out what we missed. Yeah, let's talk about these coffin mimics. Let's do it. They're mimics, right? They're also seventh level rogues. That's rude. Yeah, it is rude. So, you know, they've got your classic evasion, trap sense, uncanny dodge of a rogue. They're immune to acid. (laughs) <laughs> they're the kind of rogue that gets a spell. Uh, so they're okay. like the arcane. They're not arcane trickster, but some some similar in their rogue talents. So they, they all, of course, took mage armor okay. so that, you know, they can have armor as mimics. But they're, I mean, they're just, they mimic objects just like a regular mimic would. So these ones are obviously the coffins and they have the same glue that a mimic has. So... If you attack it or you touch it, you potentially get stuck barring a reflex save. However, with those abilities combined with being a rogue, they can really deal some pretty gnarly sneak attack damage. Oh, yeah. These guys are... Ooh, how how good is their sneak attack? I was just about to ask. Uh, 46. Okay. Uh, so they have 46 sneak attack, but that adhesive is a DC 19 to not get stuck. And it also is applied to all of their slams. And they have that constrict like a mimic normally would. But yeah, they have ghost sound and mage armor just to fuck with you. Which I didn't have them do the ghost sound thing because you got your perception is so high. Mm-hmm. 
because them as mimicking an object get a bonus to their stealth, and their stealth as rogues is pretty high, plus 36 disguise when mimicking an object. So, like, I had them roll, and I think you rolled something in the 40s. Yep. And, like... One failed. Yeah, exactly. Low roll. (laughs) You know, I rolled, like, a a five or something. They're a pain in the ass, and there were three of them in the room, and so they'll just start, you know, teaming up on you, slamming you, immobilizing you, sneak attacking you. I've got a question. Does the sneak attack apply to all of their attacks? So could you potentially get someone caught in the glue so they've got their flat-footed or whatever, and then you slam, slam, constrict three times 4d6? I don't think the constrict okay. would get the sneak attack. Okay. I'm not positive on that rolling, but... I'm pretty sure the constrict is just additional damage that you deal when you have someone grabbed. Sure. It's not like considered an extra attack. Like it doesn't take an action to constrict somebody. Mm-hmm. It's not a standard action to constrict. So I think that is just extra damage. So it's really just the slams that would be dealing sneak attack. Still. Still, yeah. I mean, they have 24 AC when they're, when they got that mage armor on. They've got 118 hit points, pretty decent saves. So. They're annoying. And I thought the fight would be annoying. <laughs> so I was in some part yeah. of me was glad that you saw it because I didn't actually really want to run it. Oh shit, is that the art right there? Yeah. Can I take a look at that? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really, really cool. I was thinking big stone sarcophaguses. These are kind of like like a, a pretty traditional wooden coffin that you'd see in like a real life funeral, but it's got a big, nasty, gaping, toothy maw. And there's like tentacles coming out of it as a very cool monster. It's one of the classics like, oh, we commissioned all of our art before we finalized everything that we wrote in it. So, yeah, mm-hmm. they're written as stone sarcophaguses. And, oh, sure. And drawn as just kind of regular coffins. But uh, can you imagine actually being a vampire and coming back to that? That would suck. Yeah, that'd, that'd be bad time. Bad place to rest. Was there anything cool in the room? I think by now it's a safe assessment that we'll never go back there. So if there's like cool loot that we lost out on, it is what it is. Or was that just purely a trap? No, it was purely to fuck with you. Oh which my is, God. Which is doubly mean, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's like nothing good in that room. The real thing was, had you not seen the other hidden stuff, you might have thought this was the actual coffin oh, sure. room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, because there was right like up secret start, doors or something. Yeah, right? there's a secret door to the other coffin room that you guys had found before you came into this area. And so the original dungeon design didn't have Turner like walling off other areas as well. So you would have been able to go straight to this area. It's kind of a straight shot. Yeah. And then you would have been like, oh, probably, coffins. Probably not every party has someone who can roll perception into the 40s right, or 50s. Right. So yeah. you go, oh, coffins. Sure. And then, you know, somebody goes in, touches it, tries to pick it up to stake the vampire that they just killed upstairs or whatever and is uh you know sneak attack by the mimic that's rude i'm very glad we uh (laughs) got past that oof yeah all right man is there anything else fun that you wanted to bring up we still need to talk about nightmare track and then there's a little other thing that i wanted to chat about before we got to questions uh no that's that's all in those mimics again they're not like super complex it's just rude to put that (laughs) you know the rogue class levels on them yeah no kidding all right so let's talk about the big bad of episode 200 in the third uh, chapter of that this is the big old fucking ancient nightmare dragon so griff i just wanted to give you an opportunity to walk through this creature essentially 
tell us the inspiration behind it. Where did you pull this from? Was this just something you thought was cool? Is this something we're supposed to fight later and you bumped it up? So where where'd this come from, man? Uh, well, I knew I knew we were doing this stuff in the plane of dreams, and I mm-hmm. thought I, I was trying to think of like a big bad that would be capable of doing that Dagon thing. Sure. Because everything up until then had been kind of reflections of Eclipse's memories. And I wanted the big bad to be Dagon, like the thing that broke her mind. But Dagon is, as we've talked about already, like CR 28. So you can't use Dagon. There's no real way to like dumb Dagon down to a level that you guys could actually fight him. You'd be cutting his CR in half, right? It's kind of hard to do. But an ancient nightmare dragon is CR 15, and they have some really good illusion abilities. And they're native to the plane of dreams, and so I thought it was a good opportunity to have this nightmare dragon be like fucking with Eclipse and continuing to like keep her mind broken. Mm-hmm. And by kind of becoming one of her memories, like the memory that broke her, it's doing that, right? Sure. So, so nightmare dragons are, I mean, <laughs> they're cool. There's dream dragons and the nightmare dragons, I think. Let me, uh, let me ask a question first, and then I want to ask another question that's going to lead you into, I think, where you're going with this. What was the final CR on this creature? I think it was mentioned on air. 15. Okay. Let's be very clear here. What are the templates on it? Is it a dragon that has a nightmare template, or a nightmare dragon is a creature? Nightmare dragon is a unique creature. Okay. And then you also had the ancient template? So, I mean, all dragons have, like, are there individually like tracks yeah, for right. the ages where... Some of their spell-like abilities come online. They grow in size at a certain point. So the ancient nightmare dragon is CR 15. Hell yeah. All right. Sorry for the interruption. Just wanted to clear the air there. Let me have it, man. Let's start talking about some of the cool stuff on this thing. Yeah. Nightmare dragons are, weirdly enough, kind of psychic spellcasters, probably because they're involved in the mind. So they have... (laughs) They actually have like a pool of psychic energy they can use to cast certain spells. They can use that pool to cast uh, Ghost Sound, True Strike, Dimension Door, and Nightmare. And it's weird how it works. Like they have 16 points of psychic energy, mm-hmm. and each of those spells costs a different amount of points. But then they have like a traditional, like sorcerer casting list, like a normal dragon does. So notably, there they had like. Dream travel, so moving around in this stuff. Persistent image was what was going on with the image there. Had some great stuff like Dispel Magic Greater. I just, you know, I wasn't up in the air really Mm -hmm. long enough to start casting these things. And there was some stuff like Phantasmal Killer. And I think you guys dealt with Vision of Hell and Dreadscape, which like changed the surroundings before you even started fighting the dragon. It's got Deep Slumber, a lot, just a great list of dream themed abilities. One of the cool things that I didn't, well, I I guess I technically could have pulled off, but it didn't happen because I think he took him out pretty quickly. He's got this rising nightmare ability. So three times per day when a nightmare dragon kills a living creature, it can cast Phantasmal Killer as a free action. Oh, so let me speak this back to you to make sure I understand that. In the situation that that we were in, Mm -hmm. Uli was on the ropes had you killed Uli, you could, as a free action, then turn your gaze to Liana or Eclipse or whomever and free action Phantasmal Killer because, oh, wow, that's shit, man. That 
that can really easily cut yeah. a party in half. Yeah. The, the rising nightmare, baby. Yeah. But uh, his breath weapon is a 50-foot cone. Mm-hmm. 20d6 acid. Yeah, that's With a DC 29 reflex save for half. God, that was really brutal for you guys. You know, his attacks, his bites at a plus 33, his claws are at a plus 32, tail slaps at a plus 30, wings at a plus 30. I think I put power attack on at one point and it was just broken. Like the bite, 2d8 plus 37. The claws, 2d6 plus 25. The tail slap, 2d6 plus 37. And then the wings were just 1d8 plus 12. So I think that was like, I hit hit Bella with, uh, or Uli with a wing that one time. And that was the only reason she die, die was because like any of the other damage would have killed her. I mean, the power attack at that point is taking your to hit down a little bit, but even still you'd be high 20s, low 30s. Yeah, it's like with with the power power attack on, I'm still at like a plus 27. uh, And it's minus six plus 12. Okay. Crazy, crazy stuff. This type of dragon, as we've seen with Jimberium, has the ability to change shape into any humanoid via polymorph. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of cool. Not every dragon gets that. And I think just the sheer, (laughs) like, dream sight. Can't be blind in the dream realm. Like, crush. I could have just crushed you guys under his weight. (laughs) He also has blind sense on top of that dream sight. Like 200 foot fly speed, which isn't unique, but is a dragon thing. The Nightmare Talon's ability makes its claw attacks keen. Like, can snatch you out of the air. Uh, 26 spell resistance, terrifying presence, which is actually what you guys were dealing with when you thought you were dealing with Dagon, was the dragon's terrifying presence because it was right by you. Sure. I mean, dragons are ridiculously, ridiculously strong. You guys won because you had a wizard that could target the reflex save, which is only a plus 11. So other saves are a plus 20 and a plus 21. And, you know, you got some attacks on it, but its AC is a 36. Yeah, and I got to swing high to hit that. But JC is a 7. Well, let's <laughs> swing too high to hit that it's one. A, it's a gargantuan creature. Right. So. Yeah, I just think about this thing with, like, a little less toying with you and a little more prep time. Mm-hmm. Would have been really dangerous, but... I didn't want to play it like that because, you know, I gave you guys some toys, but at the end of the day, you are a level 11 party. Mm-hmm. One of you has one mythic rank and a cool axe. The rest of you have some cool items, but this is a CR plus four encounter. Yeah. And so I didn't play it smart, particularly for that reason. Let's say for the sake of the argument that you did and TPK the party, because that's certainly not out of the realm of possibility here with the numbers that we've been throwing around and the abilities. How does episode 200 end at that point? Is Eclipse dead and we move on to 201? So I was like, never going to kill Eclipse. It's not like yeah. Inception where if you die in the dream, you die for real or whatever. Because mm-hmm. um, like, and canonically, she was in 199 having like survived 200. Yeah. So what's the way out there? Yeah, pretty much, you know, the lopper finding a different way to fix her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this was the way where the lopper could get, take control and actually do something himself and, and fix her that way. The, you know, the other opportunity is take fucked up eclipse to a big settlement and find the best priest in that city and hope that they can cast, you know, heal or better yeah. to fix her brain. 
and like that's clearly against the lopper's interest because any priest of that level is also going to be like you need an exorcism <laughs> let's deal with your ghost problem first yeah nice man well i know there's a couple things we wanted to talk about before we wrapped up here is there anything else about this encounter or the circumstances surrounding it that you wanted to hit before we moved on i think we covered it great man well i loved playing 200 it was super fun the dragon was certainly a challenge, certainly a good finale for that 200. And I'm glad we were able to talk a little bit more about it today. Let's switch gears for a second. Recently, there was a reveal on the show that I think is kind of the purpose of the AP, right? <laughs> the carrying crown is not exactly what we thought it was. We always knew that it was, or I won't say always, but for a very long time knew that we, that it was some sort of formula. And then we learned it was a formula to turn someone into a lich. And then we found that it was specific to one person. And that person is Kendra. The question that I and the rest of the table still have is what's the point of that? Like why is Kendra so special? We know that she is descended from Tarbifon in some way. But does making her a lich further his agenda, their agenda? I'm not really sure. And I don't think that's been revealed on this show. So don't say anything on that account. But this was a huge reveal because she was just kind of a damsel in distress a little bit. And now we find out that she's not just a little emotional heart of this campaign. She's absolutely key to it. So a couple questions around the reveal that I had. First one was, when was this reveal supposed to hit? Is this something we were supposed to find out at this point in the story? Because I know sometimes these Pathfinder APs, they tell you the reason for the AP early on, or you don't learn it till real late. Yeah. This is kind of late. You're supposed to get it at the end of book five. Okay, so we're pretty close. Yeah. We're pretty close there. All right. Other question for you. Have you planted earlier clues in this story to that? Or is there anything that if someone were to re-listen to the AP, you can definitively point back and be like, I foreshadowed it here. Not so much about Kendra other than Adivian's obvious interest in her mm -hmm. and like constant like, oh, you can come, you know, you come live with me. Yeah. Uh, you can like, oh, you should meet, like you should come with them to... Leopardstadt, and then I'll be in Leopardstadt for a while, and then we'll go to Califast. You can come live in my like place in Califast. I mean, there were hints about Adivian that were dropped pretty damn early, like his, you know, mass hold person in the mm -hmm. courtroom. Yeah. That kind of shit. Like, okay, you're not a lawyer, right? Yep. Um, but no, I think the biggest kind of hint in this direction is Petros Lorimore himself becoming obsessed in his like later days with researching this mm -hmm. where it's not like explicitly said like hey this is your bloodline but it really makes sense when that bit is dropped and it's like oh that's yeah, why he was so. like obsessing over this so I wouldn't say I wouldn't say there's a moment where it's like yeah uh, Kendra gives you like real Tarbifon vibes mm -hmm. this is the first place where you're supposed to see like you know, it's kind of revealed in pieces, right? You start to learn Whispering Way is after something. Laura Moore freaking out about Whispering Way. Whispering Way after something. Them being after something, it's a formula. The formula that they're after, it makes a lich. 
the lich that you're, they're going to make can only be a specific person. Has to be a descendant of Tarbafon. That descendant of Tarbafon is somebody you've already met and put in the position to basically be there. Yes. So it's it's meant to be revealed slowly like that. That makes sense to me. Yeah. How about just in general? Is there, is there anything else you wanted to add here? Talk a little bit more about the reveal or why you did it the way you did or, or what have you. I just want to give you free reign to talk a little bit more about the reveal. If there's anything else to add. I think this is interesting. She's not the person in the original AP. Really? Yeah. Are you allowed to say who that person is? Or is that just like a, a nobody? It's Count Galdana. That's who it was supposed to be. Oh, so like you okay. meet that guy and then like if you ever go back and talk to him, his room's like ransacked and he's uh-huh. been abducted. Okay, I see why you switched it up. Then. Yeah. Cause this is I, way better, I right? Don't, <laughs> I, I don't care about <laughs> at all. Yeah, yes, this is this is much better. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's very funny. All right, sure. Let's <laughs> like, fucking dude. Okay. It's funny because like in, in book five, they really write they're like, oh, you should really get them to like talk to him and like have a relationship with him a little bit. It's like too little too late, man. Like you guys had a great conversation with him, but like he's not relevant to the vampire subplot. Like when are they supposed to go back and truly zero emotional stakes? And I think, I I think that suffers from where it happens in the campaign. Like I think a lot of people, and and we've seen this a little bit in in a couple of our home games. When you get into book five and six, it's kind of like, okay, now it's time to get to the fucking end. Yeah. Like, not to say that you're sick of the story or anything, but you know what's going on. The RP starts to slack a little bit and let's just pound through these dungeons because I want to fight the big bad because I know who the big bad is. I know where he, where he is and I know what's going on. I don't want to spend like several episodes getting to know this dude and caring about this dude. Right. That's not to say we're, that we're not getting to know and caring about people on the show here, but I think that's a lot to ask, especially from a home game playing Carrion Crown to really get invested in this character way late into the AP that you're just meeting it like right then. Right. I don't even know that it like banks on your investment in him Mm -hmm. other than it being like, Hey, he's the key. So you better go get him. Yeah. Like it, it It seems really arbitrary. It's really arbitrary. I mean, you're not really supposed to know, like when you know the name of Divian at this point, if I was running it out of the book, you'd have no fucking idea who he is either. Right. So, yeah, you know, it, we're, we're fundamentally like the story we're telling is, is fundamentally different in some places than the carrying crown AP, in my opinion, for the better. So hopefully that reveal doesn't make you think like, Oh, well now nothing's like, it's, it's going to go very similarly. It's just, you're actually invested in it. Yeah. And that, that's not to knock the original AP. That's not to knock the writers or anything. It's just like, okay, people write stories and then sometimes an editor needs to come in and clean things up. And I know there's editors on the Paizo staff and, they, and they've done their job, but like we've adjusted it for our show because we think it's going to be a little bit more cinematic this way. Okay. Yeah. No harm, no foul. I think it, it boils down to telling like a more cohesive, like six book story mm-hmm. instead of a like, yes, like Carrying Crown was written, very cohesive individual books, a little bit looser on the uh, path to the end. Mm-hmm. So the through lines and stuff really give you guys just a great idea of NPC's place in the world, your connection to this story, and how you've 
you've touched on the pieces of this story along the way. Yeah. Without that, it's a little bit, it already feels kind of like, I think Carrying Crown is one of the more railsy adventures that Paizo has put out. And it feels even more on the rails when like the stakes aren't people that you formed a 30 episode connection with or mm-hmm. people that you like the bad guy isn't this dude that you like f- were in a trial against for 20 episodes and like has been a jackass to you the entire time and like has been this guy that has been watching you and fucking with you. I think it it's more cohesive and personal this way. Absolutely. Anything else to add here before we move into our listener questions for the day? No, I just, I thought everyone's reaction was really funny. Mm -hmm. When it was revealed at the table, it was like, oh, fuck. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) That's the thing. Yep. Yep. That's why she's not here. I enjoyed that quite a bit myself. Yes. Okay. We got a couple listener questions today. First one comes from Jason. Is there an argument to be made for letting the players retrain NPC allies that might not be as effective as the party hopes? There absolutely is an argument to be made for this. Yeah. It would have to be a strongly worded argument, though, because some NPCs are, you know, meant to join the party for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Some can join the party for a long time. I'm thinking of, what's the caravan adventure? Jade Regent? Jade Regent. I'm thinking Jade Regent with that, like, yes, it makes so much sense to retrain, like, these people in your caravan to be Mm -hmm. successful. Like, you're spending books with them, you know? Yeah. I mean, even with Quinley, it's like, yeah, I'll let you, like, he's going to level up. You guys are leveling up. He's going to level up. Like, I actually have a thing planned if he survives this to let you guys not take him directly to the end, but, like, have him contribute in a retrained way to the end. That'd be cool. So, like, I think that'll be really fun. And I think if if it's just an NPC that your party enjoys playing with or playing and, you know, you know their motivations, you're the GM, and they would like continue with the party. I think there's a conversation to be had, like there isn't any party of player characters that's like, hey, we kind of already have like, you know, frontliners and stuff. Like, maybe you'd be better off with a bow. Maybe we can like train you up in that or that, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I'd like if there were to be some RP reasons or, or RP interaction to make that happen describe what retraining looks like take the time to do it don't just in between rooms of a dungeon flip-flop right right i also think there's merit to be said for looking at what the physical table looks like so if you're playing with three players and you throw like a quinley level npc that's clearly under wealth and built not as effectively as a full PC would be, I think there should be a lot more lenience to bulk that character up and retrain them further and optimize them better than if it was like, okay, there's six of us playing Carrying Crown together and Quinley wants to join the party. So like your your party's already probably overpowered for the adventure. I don't think you should be giving the players as much opportunity maybe to like min-max Quinley out. So like, right. let's keep that in mind too. Yeah, I, I think, think I think like the timeline too, mm-hmm. like the retraining should make sense in terms of how long that would take. Yep. So an adventure where you do have long periods of downtime, it makes a lot more sense to retrain an NPC. Uh, and and I think not just giving everything to the party is also really great for the party coming together. There have been moments with Quinley and with the Lopper where it's like the party is giving up some of the stuff that like 
could be good for them to these like secondary characters to make them survivable or make them more effective than they have been. And I think that's like, those are great like story moments too. when you're like incorporating these maybe tertiary characters into your party and like you're figuring out how to like, you're bringing Quinley back to fucking life. Right, right, like, right. Doing things like that, I think, if your party is doing things like that for an NPC, it's worthy to to reward them for that via, you know, leveling that NPC up from that experience or um, or maybe throwing in some extra loot that, like, would work for that NPC, even though it's not written in the adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely agreed. Next question also comes from Jason. It's a pretty good one. So this one's going to be fun, too. Oh, boy. Uh, this came April 28th. I was about... You talked about favorite horror movies this week. Okay, so yeah, that was a while ago. Could we get your take on favorite action movies sometime? If for some reason it needs to be a gaming tie-in for the question, maybe what are three things that you like about action movies that you would put to use in gaming? Maybe not three a pop. Let's let's ignore that three rule because this is also a double-barreled question. But my favorite action movies are ones that are relatively contained in a bottle. I'm thinking like a train to, even though this is a horror movie, like a train to Busan that takes place on a train or a snow piercer. I want to absolutely give a shout out to The Raid, like incredible action, incredible choreography, but it has that claustrophobia feel of being stuck in one building the entire time or like Judge Dredd or Con Air. Like the setting in a cliche way is a character itself Mm -hmm. and I really really like that in an action movie so if you're adapting that to a game I think a great example of this being pulled off in a really really excellent way is the Starfinder one shot great grav train robbery each car is a little special but you're on the train the whole time it is a train story and like it just works really well as an action movie or a gaming set piece I really like that in an action movie what are you thinking, Griff? Action movies for me are all about the weapons. Ooh, sure. You know, the, the cooler the weapons, the, the cooler the abilities around the weapons, the more engaged I am in an action movie because action movies, I wouldn't say, are like my favorite genre. Likewise. So I, I really need to like, I, I like them to be visually stunning. I like them to be like completely out there when it comes to the actual action. RRR. Yeah, I, I'm sure. Uh <laughs> So, like, Terminator and Terminator 2 come to mind for me. Like, sure. I know they're sci-fi, but, like, the weapons in Terminator are so iconic. Like, just the use of the shotgun, like, in, in ridiculous ways and, like, yeah. the unflinchingness of the Terminator makes that an iconic set piece. Same with Ash versus Evil Dead, where, it like, the weapon is the fucking hand chainsaw mm-hmm. and, and, and the boomstick, and it's just, like the one-liners around the weapons like that's such an action movie trope to me and something i think that you can lean into really hard in uh in a tabletop thing as well as if everybody's on board i know like headshot the rot for instance is like one where everyone's a gunslinger and so you all have like unique things that you can do with your guns and everybody can do like separate things and everybody's gun is different and everybody but everybody is a gunslinger at their core and so there's a lot of fun play with that because everybody's the same thing and your loadout is these different weapons. Yeah. So I think I think that. I think putting really fucking cool like not to spoil Iron Gods or Reign of Winter too much but like putting the the modern or the futuristic weapons in Pathfinder like 
that's just fun. It's just fun to be a fighter that's like dual wielding chainsaws. Like that's mm-hmm. that's action movie to me. Yeah, be real descriptive with the kills. <laughs> exactly. You yeah. don't have to do it in like a horror way, but like really no, like a badass way. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. That's a great answer. But yeah, I don't I don't think action movies are like my forte either. I I love them if they're big, loud and dumb as <laughs> well. I love great choreography like I'm, yeah, I'm fight here choreography for it. is yeah. awesome. Like, you think of, I know Chris is running it, uh, Fist of the Ruby Phoenix. Like, sure. that's, that's action movie. Like, that, that mm-hmm. whole adventure path is action movie. It's set around, like, action movie set pieces. And so, if you want to play an action movie at your table, I assume that adventure is perfect for it. Yeah. All right. Well, last question is for me specifically. This is from Croat. Question for at Phrasma Saves. That's my name on the Discord. If Disney gave you a blank check to create the next Star Wars live action series, what would it be? And what role would you offer to Robert Pattinson? Great question. So my answer would change depending on if expanded universe is in or out. If we're doing expanded universe, I'm sorry. I got to do the new Jedi Order Yusin Vong invasion. It was one of my favorite series. I know it's bloated and way too big and stuff, but I just love the use and Vong as bad guys so much and so much crazy shit happens in there. The death of Chewbacca, the sacking of Coruscant, the downfall of Jason Solo falling to the dark side, the giant cool set pieces we're talking about of the use and Vong terraforming planets. The fact that they're so unique as bad guys in that all of their tech and their ships and their armor are all like living creatures, I think is just really, really badass. And I would love, love, love to see that come to life. That being said, you did specify Disney. So for the sake of the argument, let's say Expanded Universe is out and I just have to come up with a unique idea. I would love to see some very ancient Old Republic type stuff. Specifically, I want to see armies of Jedi go at it with armies of Sith. I would love to see Darth Bane, who is still canon because of Clone Wars, get adapted in some way, shape or form so that we can see like the downfall of the Sith at the end of that era where they're fighting and then the rule of two starting with Darth Bane. Um, I think that would be incredible. I think the most realistic thing is to probably have something set in the High Republic era, which I've really, really been loving because it feels a lot like the expanded universe. Like you really have to dive into High Republic head first. There are lots of books, tons of characters, things that interact in weird ways. Like you have to be I feel like you have to be pretty diehard Star Wars to really get into those. And I love being insular and seeing like that cool shit come to life if you put the time in to research everything. I think if you're casting Robert Pattinson in a Star Wars live action series and we're talking High Republic, make him Martian Roe, baby. Come on. Like, that's perfect. And all of that being said, I've offered a couple different alternatives for series, but I think my serious answer, and I might get laughed at for this, Give me pod racing. Pod racing, baby. Fucking give me Star Wars Fast and the Furious. Like, it doesn't have to be like all Vin Diesel family. It's like uh, like Fast and Furious, but like 
What do people like in episode one? Darth Maul, Duel of the Fates, and pod racing. Pod racing. Like, take the pod racing circuit and do like a big, long racing thing. It's Star Wars, sure, so there won't be any wars involved, but I would love to just see these new tracks and racers and cool pods come to life and really get immersed in that specific subculture of Star Wars. Boy, I think a pod racing show or at least a movie would be so fucking fun. Yeah. yeah. What do they call it? Now that's Ooh. pod racing. Yeah. <laughs> now that's pod racing. <laughs> I think we have the title right there. <laughs> I don't have any um, things I like want to see in the Star, Star Wars universe, but I do have an answer for who I would cast uh, Robert Pattinson as. Yeah, let's hear it. Uh, Thrawn. Oh, fuck. I would like that a lot. Yeah. yeah. Griffin, that's a good answer. Yeah. I'm surprised to hear you dropping Thrawn in there, but that's that's a really good answer. Really I, good character. I think Robert Pattinson is a, obviously a good actor. Could definitely pull it off. Mm-hmm. I would love to see that. They've been releasing these like Thrawn prequel books called the Ancestry Trilogy. I think they're complete now, but it really dives into the period before Thrawn comes to the Empire. And it's like him being in the Chiss ancestry. I could see Robert Pattinson doing a great, like, younger Thrawn coming up through the ranks and then, like, being part of the Empire while he's still young. I've been hearing a lot of buzz of, like, either Mads or Lars Mikkelsen playing, potentially playing Thrawn in the Ahsoka series when he would be, like, canonically a lot older. So Mm -hmm. I don't think that would be a good fit. Right. But, like, a younger Thrawn would be perfect. Absolutely perfect. And uh, what would you what would you call the uh, the young Robert Pattinson Thrawn show? Mm. Uh, oof. The blue skin of the killer. That, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> oh boy! How many moons does uh, Thrawn's planet have? Good question. Because like if it's two, then it would be two moon, <laughs> not new moon. Okay, <laughs> sure. I don't like, know. He's such a heartthrob, like heartthrob. Perfect. Yep. Perfect. Boom. That's it right there. I think we figured it out. And that probably wraps up the question. And our zone and truth in general, I don't know that we have a whole bunch of uh, wrap up and housekeeping to do. The only notable thing that I can think of is that traditionally we have the live zone of truth the second Saturday of the month for this Saturday, July of 2022. We got to push that back one week. So that is going to be on the 16th. So. We'll be posting about that and stuff, but looking forward to that. Anything else I'm missing, Griff? I don't know if we got anything crazy going on. We don't, but our friends at STF are doing STF Con. Ooh, yeah. Uh, potentially when this comes out, game signups might still be going on. Because this comes out, what, next Monday? Yes. Yeah, so there might still be signups. You can find links in our Discord to their Discord or straight to their Discord. I'm running two sessions of the Hall of Drunken Heroes converted <laughs> to second edition. Uh, so at the very least, come hang out. I think the way most of the games work, I'll have to ask the people I'm running for is that you can kind of hop in and we'll stream it in the channel. Uh, so if people wanted to come watch that, it'll be a very drunk and fun time. Nice. But I'll be running that through Foundry. I'm not GMing anything, but I will be, as of probably tomorrow, signed up for some games. So... You can play for Griff, you can watch Griff, or you can play with me or watch me. It'd be fun. Well, I would say you could play it in my game, but I think my game's filled up 
first or second time. <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. I got my six seats open and they got filled up. So Nice. All right. Well, be sure to sign up for that as long as signups are still open or just check it out when you have the opportunity to. In the meantime, I think everybody has made their will save. And Griffin, we got to wrap this up. So is there anything you want to say to the people at home? Yeah, finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks. Later. Later.